So now I'm going to shift. I'm going to transition back to sermon. Y'all ready? S- settle into the sermon. Uh, so as you, you can tell from uh, our Advent readings and uh, how we've been, uh, have entered into this Advent season that here at Christ Central, uh, we use a historical Christian practice of observing uh, the Christian church calendar, uh, which celebrates seasons of the year that really help us as Christians embody Right, live into and embrace the gospel story of Jesus. And the first day or the first season of the Christian calendar is the first day of Advent. And as you've heard already, we are in the second week of Advent. Uh, Advent is la- in Latin is Adventus, meaning coming. So as Christians in 2019, we participate in Advent by looking back 2,000 years ago when Christ came for the first time, and we look forward to when Christ will come again to consummate his kingdom forever. So we use this season of Advent to help us to prepare to celebrate Christmas, the coming of the Messiah, when the light of God shone into the darkness of the world, when the salvation of God burst forth into the brokenness of our world. This past week, uh, there was a New York Times article by an author, an Anglican minister, Tish Warren, that I thought was really good on Advent. And this is what she wrote, quote, during this season, our American culture insists that we run at breathless pace for sugar-laced celebration to celebration. That our culture tells us to enter this Christmas season by listening to Holly Jolly Christmas and Happy Holidays and Jingle Bell Rock. We see commercials of selling new vehicles with giant red bows tied around them. We rush out to buy Christmas trees so we can begin our decorating. She says we suffer from a collective consumerist mania that demands we remain optimistic, shiny, happy, and having fun, fun, fun. Advent, though, is a season for us to face the darkness and brokenness of our world. Because every single one of us, deep down inside, we know that life's not fun, fun, fun all the time. Every single one of us, if we're honest, would say there is a deep ache inside of us, an ache for more, an ache that says, this is not the way the world is supposed to be. An ache that asks the question, is this really as good as it gets? We ache because of family difficulties. We ache because of work conflict. We ache because of personal sin struggles. We ache from the violence and greed and injustice we see in our world. And we ache from the violence and greed and injustice that we've perpetrated upon our world. And the world teaches us to take an anesthetic to deal with the ache, to escape from the pain, to numb the ache, to do that through alcohol or through partying, through staying busy with work or shopping and buying presents in this season. But if we're honest, we all still ache. And the season of Advent is a time for us as Christians to actually embrace the ache, not to escape it, not to numb it, but to see the darkness and the brokenness of our lives and of this world, not as an end to itself, not to be Mr. and Miss Scrooge walking around kind of angry in this season, but rather as we feel the deep ache and we all long for more, we can really be Christmas people when it comes. So that on Christmas morning, we can really celebrate, not with artificial celebration, but with a full explosion of joy because heaven burst into a broken world, because light shined into the darkness. So we ache now, but we ache with hope because Christmas came 2,000 years ago and it will come again 
when Christ comes a final time. So this year and in this season, let me encourage all of us to push away all the worldly Christmas trappings so that we can feel and experience the ache and in our ache be met by the one our hearts long for and the one our world longs for. So the passage we're going to look at this morning gives us hope in this one that we long for. Now, before I read it, I need to remind you, as if you weren't here last week, Timothy shared that we're in the Old Testament book of Isaiah this Advent season. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking to Israel 700 years before Jesus would come. He's speaking to Israel while they're living in exile. And the kingdom of God has been divided into the north and the south, Israel and Judah. The Assyrians and the Babylonians have ravaged their land. Israel, this once mighty kingdom, is at this time a nation devastated, living in darkness, living in exile, aching for all to be made right. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word to us. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall leave them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The same prophet Isaiah tells us of the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would speak to each one of us in our own aching and longings, and our desire for more, would you give us hope this morning? Hope in Christ, hope in your faithfulness, hope in your promises, hope in your presence with us this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Would you speak to us? Pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I recently heard a pastor share a story about a young woman in his church. Uh, and this young woman asked the pastor, hey, pastor, would you meet with my mother? I just need to give you a heads up. My mother really hates Christianity, but would you meet with her? And so the pastor said, sure, I'm, I'll meet. And they made an appointment. And as soon as the mother and the pastor sat down, the, the mother started going off about all that was wrong with Christianity and all that was wrong with the church. And uh, she was filled with a lot of hatred and venom and he began to learn that it was because uh, she had been abused by the church. And so for a long time, she just raged in anger about all that's wrong with Christianity and all that's wrong with the church. And he just sat there 
patient and listened. And she eventually would wind down from her anger and amazed that he wasn't speaking up or in, interrupting and he wasn't judging her. She then felt comfortable and I'll say, Pastor, can I share something with you? One thing that I've actually, I've never told anyone. Before I go to bed at night, before, right after I turn off the light, the last thing that I whisper is good night, Jesus. Good night, Jesus. Now share that to say that no matter where you are this morning in regards to Christianity in the church, deep down, I believe in your DNA, every person knows that this world offers nothing in comparison to what Christ can offer us. That if you're here this morning and you're skeptical and you're questioning Jesus and, uh, and you're just kind of checking things out, we're glad you're here. And I would say, I think your presence here suggests that, that deep down in the midst of your ache, the world's not satisfying your heart like you desire. And my hope would, would be that you would see that Christ might just be the one your heart really longs for. I want us to look this morning at this prophecy of Isaiah that, that speaks of this one our hearts and world longs for. The first thing that I want us to see about this one is that out of nothing, he brings life. Look at verse 1 with me. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So Israel, this once mighty kingdom, this forest of trees has been cut down. All that remains is a stump. If you've seen any of the images of the wildfires in California, right, images of, of dense forests that have been scorched and burned down, well, Israel's been burned down scorched by the exile. And all that's left of Israel, Isaiah says, is a stump. And out of the stump, a green shoot. Out of the stump, life emerges. This is the fulfillment of the promise of God. God is keeping his word when it looks barren. In Genesis chapter 3, God promises that through the seed of the woman, one will come who will crush evil and darkness. And Abraham would become the carrier of this seed. God promises that through Abraham, his seed, the whole earth will be blessed. Well, then Abraham bears Isaac. Isaac bears Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Jacob's name changes to Israel. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. The promised seed would then come to the one son, Judah, who we know, right, as the Lion of Judah. Judah bears a child through Tamar. The seed would then come through Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, and would continue through the line of Boaz, who marries a Moabite woman named Ruth. Ruth bears Obed. Obed bears a son named Jesse. Jesse bears a son named David, and David is the great king of Israel. But did you catch that this promised one would come from the stump of Jesse, not from the stump of David? The whole Old Testament talks about the royal messianic line as the line of David, right? this great king. But here it speaks about the one who is coming who will be from the stump of Jesse. Now, the reason is because this isn't just another king that's coming. This isn't just another David, but one greater than the great king David, one coming who's greater than the greatest, one who is coming that is unlike any king ever seen. And this king's not just from the, st the stump of Jesse, but verse 10 says is the root of Jesse. Two metaphors, right, about this one coming. And I think we can understand the root of Jesse by, by looking at places like Colossians chapter 1. It says, 
Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, right? This here, the root of Jesse, is not just a reference to Jesus springing forth from Jesse, but Jesus is the root, the origin, and the source of Jesse. That the one who will come will be procreated by Jesse and is the creator of Jesse. In other words, Isaiah is telling Israel that the king who is coming is fully human and fully divine. He is the God-man, Jesus. And our God is one who specializes in bringing life out of nothing. In Genesis 1, when God created in the beginning, he created out of nothing. When Sarah and Abraham were barren and could not have children, God brought a child out of nothing. At Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of the Son of God in a manger uh, from a virgin in Bethlehem in the middle of nowhere. And out of this place comes the Savior of the world. And then Jesus would be placed upon a cross, crucified, a major low point, a stump, if there was a stump. Jesus' disciples flee and they run away. But out of nothing, three days later from the grave, Christ rises victorious. And in his power, the church bursts forth and the gospel spreads to the whole world. Because out of nothing, God brings life. I was eating lunch with someone in our church this past week who told me when uh, he was a senior in high school, he was living on the streets of East Durham. Forty years have gone by, uh, and after his senior year, he became a Christian. Uh, he's now married with children and, and grandchildren, uh, and he was talking about his life and reflecting on where he was, and he was sharing about a lot of hard things that were going on in his life in the present. But with tears in his eyes, he began to share how God was renewing him on wings like an eagle. That he was in a place that he had, with the Lord that was sweet, and he felt near. And he began to say, my wife and I really want to spend our time and our life together in this next season ministering for the sake of Christ and the gospel. I just, I left that meeting reflecting on this passage going from the streets of East Durham to living a full life. God specializes in bringing life out of what appears to us to be nothing. So I want to share with you, and I need to hear this, we do not need to listen to the lie you don't matter. You don't need to listen to the lie that you're too much of a failure or you're too much of anything for God to use. It is precisely in your places of loneliness, in your places of sickness, in confusion, or in your feeling of being worthless, that God wants to show up and bring life out of nothing. The second thing we see about this one our hearts and our world longs for is that he fights the greatest battle. This one who comes from the stump is a warrior against the enemy of evil. When Christ came into the world, he came to do battle against a very real enemy, a hostile power. He didn't enter a neutral world. He came to do battle. We have a real enemy called evil. The hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, we sing it. And it says, the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Will Willimon said the best and first example of how the transcendence of evil made its way into the radar screen of younger generations, which I realize I'm one of, was through the wild popularity of the Blair Witch Project. Any of y'all remember the Blair Witch Project? Uh, yeah, that, that was the first time a woman says that evil was not pictured as cartoonish, like Freddy Krueger kind of way. But it, it launched a generation of people that said, I actually think there might be something more 
out there, something invisible and dark. We have a real enemy, church. We have a real enemy, but instead of looking at the enemy, I want us to turn and see the one who fights against the enemy. Look at our passage. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon him, armed with the spirit of God. And he judges the poor. That's not a harsh judgment. It's saying this is one who has great concern for the poor, who looks out for the poor, who contends and fights for the weak and the marginalized and the broken. See, unlike many wars today where the vast amount of suffering is placed upon women and children and the elderly, in the battle that Jesus fights, the defenseless will find themselves on the winning side. And this warrior uses some strange weapons to fight the battle. Look at it with me. He, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. Righteousness and faithfulness are his belts. This imagery... And Isaiah, it's seen also in the last book of the Bible in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Listen and hear the similarities. Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is clad in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, followed him in white horses. And from his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now the paradox of this great battle is that the blood on his robe is not the blood of his enemies, but it's his own blood. For Jesus conquers the enemy through his own death. He crushes the head of the serpent through a cross. First Corinthians, Paul tells us that this looks like foolishness to the world, but it is the wisdom of God. So the hope we have in Christ is that he is pushing back the darkness of our world and is reclaiming his territory. Do you realize that every person who believes in Jesus and is baptized into Jesus is a piece of the enemy's territory that's been reclaimed. For each of you who trust in Christ, God has pushed back the darkness and has put you on the front lines as one who will now fight the battle. Armed not in your own strength, armed in his strength. Armed not in your own righteousness or faithfulness, but in the righteousness and faithfulness of Jesus. The only offensive weapon we have is the same offensive weapon that Jesus has, his word. The word of God, which is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ who brings salvation to the individual by the forgiveness of sin and by the imputation or the crediting of Christ's work on our behalf. So the word of God is our offensive weapon. It's where we go to be reminded of the armor we have in Christ. It's not our power to live this life, it's his power. It's not our faithfulness, it's his faithfulness. Every single one of us is in a battle with a real enemy. We have to fight with the weapon he's given us. And so I wonder this morning, what are you confronting in your life in a way that you feel like you're engaged with the enemy of God? Are you facing pressures from outside forces that feel like they're beyond your control? Are you being called to have patience where you feel like you don't have any to offer? Maybe you're here this morning, you're wondering... Is there really anything you can do to feel more useful or be more useful to God? I'm feeling very worth, worth much of anything. 
Are you struggling with some secret temptation or sin that nobody knows about? Is there a burden or sorrow that just feels too heavy to carry? You've got to come to the Word of God. And when you need patience, let God clothe you in the patience of Christ. When you're struggling with temptation, let God's sword of the Spirit be your truth. And when you're battling pain and doubt, come to the Word and let Christ be your shield of faith. This Word of God and this proclamation of salvation is not just about the individual. It is the proclamation of one who's bringing salvation and a kingdom to this physical world. It is a kingdom of justice and equity and mercy and love. Our text says he will judge the poor decide with equity. So as we yield the offensive weapon of proclaiming this kingdom of God, we seek to do justice, to love mercy. We speak out for the poor and the marginalized. We proclaim this word of salvation to all people that God has placed us around. Any that don't know Christ might come to know and to believe in him. Anywhere it appears that it is the enemy's territory It is there that we proclaim the word of God. For Jesus is the great warrior fighting the battle of pushing back darkness and the enemy. Here's the last thing that I want us to see about this one is that he brings peace on earth. What's the goal of this one that I'm saying our hearts long for and the world longs for? It's perfect peace. Our text is really clear. It's an end to all enmity. It's an end to all strife. Look at verses 6 and 9. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. The wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the cow and the bear, and a little child will lead them. The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra. This is a reminder of Eden, by the way, where the snake, the enemy, wins the battle over Adam and Eve. And because that snake won the battle, the world is cursed and darkness and brokenness pervade. But through this child, the curse is lifted. There will be no enmity, the blessing of God. Peace will flow as far as the curse is found. The goal of the one our hearts longs for is heaven on earth. That's where we're headed. This summer, I went to Montana with uh, my family and my in-laws to celebrate my father-in-law's a big birthday for him. And we went fly fishing, which I love to do. And uh, normally when I go fly fishing, I go with a group of friends and we're on walkie talkies and, you know, on the screen communicating about where we are because there's no cell phone coverage out in the middle of, of nowhere in, in, the, in, the, in the Midwest. Uh, and so this time I'm all by myself. For a few days I'm going in the middle of nowhere, Montana, uh, where I've got no cell phone coverage. So I go to the local fly shop and I start talking to the the owner of the shop, and he says, hey, you're going to want to take some bear spray with you. And I was like, didn't even cross my mind to think about taking some bear spray. He's like, $10 to rent a can for the day. It's probably $10 well spent, so I gave him $10, and off I go. And I don't, I don't think about it for a couple of days. I've got it wrapped around my belt as I'm fishing. and uh, Literally one day I'm out in the middle of nowhere, miles away, up the stream, going around, and I start hearing, like a large animal. It's not like a squirrel. Rub. It's a big animal. Uh, and I'm like, I stop right in the middle of like casting. I'm like, oh no. I reel in my line as fast as I can and I just peel off down. I don't get near the woods. I'm like trucking it through the middle of the stream, get in my car and I'm off. And this week as I've meditated on verses six through nine, I thought, you know what? There's a day coming 
when we can hike in Montana and not need bear spray. Right, there's a day coming when we can go swim in the ocean and not worry about sharks. There's a day coming when we can hike the Eno River in the middle of the summer and not worry about mosquitoes. Peace in the whole earth. And out of the stump, a shoot. Out of nothing, a child will lead us who brings life, who fights our battle and is bringing a kingdom of peace to our world. In the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art is a 15th century sculpture called Adam by the artist Tullio Lombardo. Some of you may remember this, that in 2002, this famous sculpture of Adam, it fell while in the Met and it shattered into thousands of pieces. For 12 years, it took many people to put this sculpture of Adam back together and they finally placed it back in the museum. Listen, the first Adam of humanity lost the fight with the enemy of God. And it cursed our relationship to God, our relationship to the world and our relationship to ourselves. And because of this, we all live with an ache. We long for peace with God. We long for peace in our world and we long for peace within our own hearts. Thanks be to God that the second Adam, Jesus, is the one who puts Adam back together. He's restoring all that is lost and he is the one who's bringing peace on earth. So this Advent season, don't let the world numb you, distract you from the ache and the pain that is real. Embrace it. There's an old saying that uh, Tish Warren quoted in her, uh, in her article this week. Hunger is the best condiment. I love that. Hunger is the best condiment, which means to feel your hunger. Hunger for God. Hunger for the world to be made right. And it's in the midst of our hunger that we can taste and see the fullness of the salvation that comes in Christ alone. He is the one our hearts longs for and the one our world longs for. So let's pray. Lord, I... I pray that you would give us hunger <laughs> where we're numb and where we're just kind of going through the motions and where we're, we don't hear, we don't see, we don't feel. Cause hunger. And in our hunger, Lord, would you meet us? Christ, would you meet us? Would we know that out of nothing, out of what feels to be nothing, that you bring life? Your grace is, is powerful, Lord. Would we know that we have a very real enemy and that you, Jesus, are the great warrior fighting and pushing back this darkness? Help us to, to lean into the word of God. Help us to proclaim this word of God. And thank you, Lord, we have, a, we have an aim. We are headed to peace on earth, a kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Pray you give us that hope in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.